Welcome, welcome, welcome to Where They At. This is the sixth edition of this wonderful show that I have the opportunity to host. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to talk to wonderful, uh, influential people, great retired athletes that are doing wonderful things off the field or court. This episode is no different, and I want to introduce this gentleman. This man has uh, done so much for the NFL and for his community, and his accomplishments speak for itself. He was the lead in Russia for the U. University of Miami, one of the first great players from that university. And he went on to become the 1979 Offensive Rookie of the Year and making an impact instantly in the NFL with the St. Louis Cardinals. Two-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro, all-time leading rusher by far in Cardinals franchise history. Also, he was the 1989 Comeback Player of the Year when he was with the New York Giants. Two Super Bowl championships, including... Super Bowl 25 MVP and as well he is um, an amazing humanitarian and motivational speaker it is my pleasure and honor to feature the great Otis OJ Anderson how are you sir I'm good man you see I'm trying to get all dapped up and everything y'all got me all, <laughs> got me almost in my birthday suit this morning <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you put on that shirt though that mega yeah, mega yeah, sci-fi yeah, yeah. you know I'm glad you have that on you know like yes, sir, <laughs> yes, mega sci-fi baby yes sir and uh well I want to get right to it because there's there's a lot so much to talk about with you but uh, this is something very interesting that I found out you know um you developed a very unique running style in the NFL by chasing uh-huh. rabbits Talk about that. Take us back to those days in Florida, growing up in Florida, chasing rabbits. Well, you know, when you're a kid, you're trying to find things to do. And my friends and I used to get up early in the morning and just go out what we call hunting and uh, with no with no guns or anything like that because we were so young, we didn't know anything about that. So we would literally go out and just chase after wild rabbits just to see if we can catch them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not not to just eat, but just to chase them and see if we can catch them. So uh, by doing so, it gave us, me and my friends, the ability to stop, cut, change direction. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're not really realizing that you're uh, homing in on your skills by doing that kind of stuff. But really, we were. So later on in life, I became the rabbit. Your athletic and social influences that inspired you to become the football player that you became. Well, I have to start with most kids say that there's always somebody in the household that makes a difference. And and my mom was one of the ladies in my household that made a difference. Uh, my my father was not around, uh, mm. but I had an older brother who was uh, a football player. That's right. Passed, smoke. Smoke. Mm-hmm. He passed away in college when he was going into his sophomore year. And from what I was told from players who played against him and saw me early on in my career, said that uh, I was okay. I was all right, but uh, I could even carry my brother's athletic supporter. So, uh, wow. So, you know, when they said that to me, I was like, wow, really? And, and you know, so I always kept that in mind. So my influence came from my, my mom and my brother. And then there were some men in my life who were like stepfathers as my career went on. A guy by the name of Mel Obradovich, who mm. was only white guy that was allowed in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> that actually uh, took an interest in not only me, but other kids that were 
uh, from the projects. And, and mostly when you live in the project, there was no father image of figures around anyway. Yeah. And he became a, a good role model for a lot of us. He took us to um, join his football team and then took us traveling around town to other cities to play against other teams. So we got a chance to see what a traveling football team was all about. And then later on, a guy by the name of Dan Calloway, who was an African-American guy who really stepped in and, and became a, a social father to guys like myself, Ricky Jackson, Carlos Carson. Oh, you came Anthony, up with Ricky Jackson. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Anthony Carter, um, um, John L. Williams. Um, God, the, the list goes on. Al Sutton, who was um, probably the guy who who really changed a lot of kids' career. Um, he was a head coach um, that was around when my brother played, mm-hmm. and he saw a lot in me that was in my brother, and he felt and said to me many times that, you know, there's there's an opportunity for you to one day be good. So he saw it early on when I was in ninth, tenth grade. He was uh, one of my coaches that I had all the way through uh, high school, and he really uh, transformed me into the player that eventually I became in college and then on to uh, professional football. We're talking with uh, two-time Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl twenty-five most valuable player, Mr. Otis Anderson, over ten thousand rushing yards in his illustrious career. And, and not in the Hall of Fame. And not in the Hall of we're Fame. Gonna, right. We're going to talk about that. Definitely. We're going to talk about that for sure, sir. Um, and he's on the sixth edition of Where They At. So now, um, Otis, you know, Marvin Anderson, your brother was such an influence. And, and how did how did he pass? Well, it was during the offseason. He was swimming. And uh, which, you know, my mom always told her we don't swim during offseason. We swim during the season, you know, which is like, uh, July, August, September are years that you swim. Mm-hmm. But th- they said that it was during the offseason. But he was in Arkansas at the time. So I don't know what kind of weather you got in Arkansas during the offseason. So we, we don't really know um, how he actually – they say he was swimming, dove into a, a creek, a pond, uh, hit the bottom, broke his neck, and then was paralyzed. Um, they say he had to be a hell of an athlete because he held his breath for a long time before they realized that he was underwater. And they went and got him out. They did surgery, but back in the day, you know, the technology what we have now was not even in existence. So, mm-hmm. so for him to have lived and, and would have been a paraplegic, that wouldn't have been good with him. So, uh, and the kind of athlete that he was, him passing away was probably the way he would have it done. Because there's no way he, I don't believe he could have lived and been in a wheelchair for all his life. Uh, that would be that would have been a horrible death. Anyway. My goodness. Um, well, God rest his soul, and 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 that influence. It, now, now I see the way you played the game. I'm sure every touch, every practice, everything you did in the game was for him, for his memory. Yeah, it started off that way because one of the things that my brother wanted to do was to move the family out of the projects, and I was able to to take his dream. Uh, it's like when he passed away, he. I don't know what people believe in reincarnation, anything like that, but I'm going to just tell you something. When he passed away, my skill level as an athlete went to a whole nother level. I don't mm. know what 
I mean, it just instantly became, football became very easy for me and things that I did on the field, resuming some of the things that he did. Uh, and it just, it's like he, he went inside of me, gave me everything he had as a player, competitor, got me to where I need to get at, set me up, gave me a life, and now I say, okay, you've done everything that I would have done for our mom. You did it. Thank you. And then left the rest up to me to try to make my own way. Wow, that praise that, praise that. And uh, you went on to the University of Miami, and this is before it was known as the U, because Miami yes, didn't really have that history. And uh, and you broke Chuck Foreman's record. I didn't know Chuck Foreman went there, you know, and, and talk about how underrated that cat was in, in his college career in the pros with the Minnesota Vikings during the – because everyone talked about the Purple People Eaters and Fran Tarkenton, but not Chuck Foreman. Well, you know, Chuck Foreman uh, was probably one of the all-time great running backs at Miami. He set the standards mm -hmm. for which myself and other guys took the baton and just passed it along. But I recall when I was at Miami, I think it was my junior year, and Chuck came down and he was watching us doing off-season uh, practice. And I remember him giving me a pair of shoes. He said, you know, hey, Rook, take these shoes, you know. And I was so elated because I had a pair of Chuck Foreman's shoes that I thought I was a pro right then and there. I had pro shoes, so why not think I was pro? So um, he he took a liking to me early on, and and it was my sophomore year that I, I during year broke his record as a sophomore, and then later on I broke it as a senior. Wow! And that was right before Howard Schellenberger came to the program, and then turned the program around. Like did did you did you when you were in the NFL, you know, and and you were seeing Miami have a complete metamorphosis? Were you thinking to yourself, "Wow, I kind of wish I was part of that too." Because you were carrying that team when you were there, but then finally great leadership came along. Well, you know, people don't give the, they give the credit to Howard, but, but Lou Saban really started it off. Lou came, in my, Lou, Lou came in my junior year and, and started a new, and implemented a new pro-like system offense for us. And then my senior year, we, we perfected it to the point where that we uh, went six and five. It was the first mm -hmm. winning season in the University of Miami history in over 30 years or 20 years, something like that. And we were actually six and five, but prior to that, we were two and eight, two and eight, and three and eight. So Lou turned it around. He recruited Jim Kelly, uh, oh. Jim Burke, uh, um, 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 a lot of other guys. I, those are the guys I know that people probably will remember in those names, but mm -hmm. we were all down in Miami at the same time. Jim Bird, I played two years with Jim Kelly. Jim Bird, played, that's right. Your teammate with the Giants too. Mm -hmm. yeah, I played one year with so mm -hmm. so Lou Saban really is the is the is the is the uh, the the leader who who really started the program around and then Howard just inherited what Lou did and just took it to the next level. Wow, and uh, it's something else. You you get right into the league. You're the eighth pick overall in the 1979 draft. You get right up in there, and you have 193 yards in your debut against the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys were an elite team, and they won the Super Bowl, like, not the year before, but the year before that. And, um, wow, how, how were you able to come right in and, and, just, and just bring it to them? Because they had, like, four Pro Bowl mm -hmm. – players on defense they had harvey martin and randy white and, and cliff harris who just made the hall Ooh, how did how, how did that happen you know you you know t talk about that moment of, of of coming in and christening you know the league well it actually started in, in, in college my senior year um the super bowl was at 
at the Orange Bowl, and uh, it was the Cowboys versus the Steelers. And by me being a senior and graduating, I was allowed to go and pick up family members and bring them to the hotel. And I remember picking up the Cowboys family first and walking to the hotel and seeing uh, Harvey Martin and Tutal Joan, Randy White, and then Drew Pearson. Um, and then I saw a Robert Newhouse. And I remember going back home because I picked him up on a Friday, going back to my dorm and calling my mom and saying, Mom, I don't think I could play pro football. I just saw the Dallas Cowboys and it's no way I'm big enough to play. And she was like, no problem. We got the Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marines, so you'll be all right. And then the very next day, I had the honor to go pick up the Steelers where I met um, me and Joe Green, the white, white. Um, Mel Blunt, I saw him and I thought he was a tight end and wide receiver. And they yeah. told me he was a defensive back. I freaked out. I was like, oh, man, he is so much bigger than me. And then Donnie Shell, and, and then you had um, Jack Hammond, Jack Lambert. Mm -hmm. So I, I just knew that after watching those guys, I, again, make the phone call to my mom and say, you know, mom, I know, I know, I, I know you love to be uh, moved from the projects and me have a stellar career and everything, but, uh, you know, I don't think this is going to happen because it was unbelievable. And then I opened up my first season uh, after being drafted against the Cowboys, beating for Buck 93. And and uh, how did I do it? I had great offensive linemen, something that I started developing at Miami was a good offensive line. That's why I had 1,300 yards my senior year. But um, having uh, Tom Banks, Darren Dildall, uh, uh, I had uh, – Bob Young, one of the strongest men that ever played professional football. Mel Gray, Jim Hart. So I had a great cast of character that helped me become the player I did. That's why I had 1,605 yards as a rookie because I had such a great offensive line and and, and uh, had a quarterback and who could throw it out there and a wide receiver that could stretch the field and kind of look at today's football. That's why you have a the goodness in running backs is because you have people that can do different things. Wow, that's right. And and and, and, and that's funny because you had your debut season was as great as George Rogers, as great as Eric Dickerson, like coming right in and making an impact for sure. And um, and that's funny. That's right. That Steelers Cowboys Super Bowl was in Miami. Yeah, yeah. That's like, deep. <laughs> you know what? They made a movie called Black Sunday from that whole game. That's where the movie Black Sunday came from. Actually, I was an extra in Black Sunday. You can't see me, but I was on the field as a player. Talking with Super Bowl 25, most valuable player, two-time Super Bowl champion, and also all-time leading rusher for the Cardinals franchise, Mr. Otis O.J. Anderson on where they at. Now, there were underrated players. Like you mentioned the underrated offensive line you had, but also, too, players like E.J. Jr. and Roy Green. You're good friends with those guys. They were great players as well. And it took a while for the Cardinals to really develop as a playoff team, but that was a good nucleus for them to, for you guys to develop. And you know, talk about how how you guys were able to to um, really build a foundation for the Cardinals and bring respectability to the franchise. Well, we, we, we definitely started building a team uh, right after the '79 draft, where me and Roy Green was drafted in the same class. And uh, we had some some pretty decent players. And then in 1980, 
We drafted Curtis Grill from Michigan and Doug Marsh, tight end from Michigan. Uh, I had a mentor by the name of Willard Harrell, who was from, uh, 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 he was a Green Bay Packer that they traded to the Giants. So um, we, we, we had those guys uh, that was like mentor. Well, Willard was like a mentor to all of us. But as the, as the year went on, we got better. We drafted Leonard Smith, uh, who was from uh, McNeese State. Then we had uh, Cedric Mack that was from Clemson, I believe. Mm-hmm. Lionel Manuel, Lionel Washington was a defensive back. And then EJ Jr. came in, then Lomax. So we were, That's right, we were, Neil Lomax. I forgot about him. Oh, my God. Sorry. Yeah, we were headed in the right direction. Uh, you know, um, you know, the strike season in 82. 1982. 1982. Mm-hmm. Right, 82. Um, we had a chance to uh, make the playoff because it was a shortened season and we got beat at Green Bay. But but you look at that team and look at where we were going. We had Pat Tilly, wide receiver. Um, um, we, we really had stopped making moves. And then in, in 85, I got hurt. We had just got Stomp Mitchell in 80, 83 or 84, mm-hmm. I think. And he was doing things for Bossy Kahima came to the team. Yeah. Um, we we had some players. And Freddie and Joe Nunn, too. Freddie Joe Nunn was drafted in Yeah, we, we really started to put the team together. But in 85, I got hurt, missed nine games. Stump took over, went for 1,000 yards. And then, and then they fired the whole coaching staff, you know, uh, and, and that's what changed everything around was after the 85 season, they fired all of us. But but in all fairness, we had a lot of key players hurt because mm-hmm. we were building. And then 85, we got some of the guys hurt and we went backwards. And and at that time, uh, uh, Mr. Bitwell felt that what, what uh, Coach Hannafin was doing wasn't getting us where we needed to be because when he took over the team, we were like, three and something and then and then we were moving upward and then all of a sudden we fell all the way back down and he just figured it was time for a change so in 86 we had a uh we had, uh Gene Stallings come in as a head coach and and uh, from there Gene Stallings tr- started shipping people out and I was one of the guys he shipped out and later Leonard Smith was shipped out and you know the list goes on Lionel Washington was shipped out so, you know, he wanted to do it his way, so he did. Well, but you know what? It worked out for you, sir, because you yeah, ended up being traded to Big Blue, to the New York yes, Giants. Yep. And, the, and right in the midst of 1986, which will culminate to a Super Bowl Twenty One championship for that team. And and now, a question for you. You came in to the NFL. You were instant flash, instant success. But having to go to Big Blue – you were on the bottom of the depth chart. And then you had it took you a couple years to be able to finally be that starting running back. So it's it's a complete different thing. While you're a veteran that has proven himself, it's kind of weird how – did, did that really humble you? And how did Coach Parcells push you to be able to finally be on the top of the depth chart? Well, I think my advantage was I played in the NFC East where you have – had had some of the greatest defensive teams. That's why I still I know we're going to get to the Hall of Fame, but that's why I think people misunderstand about how great the NFC East was during the era that I played in. For me to have what I accomplished at that period of time is is incredible. But we'll get to that. But um, what what Parcel was able to do was to to uh, allow me to 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 work my way into 
the position I was in. But my advantage was, and I said it earlier, is the fact that by playing in the NFC East, I played against the cow the Cowboys. I played against the Giants twice a year. So you have the Redskins and them. Eagles, all those. Yeah, teams. yeah, I knew them. I knew I knew the Giants. So when 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 I was playing backup and trying to earn a position on the team, to me it was like playing a regular game against it because I always win against the starters. And and the way it was, the players who were starters. They played against the second and the third team defenses so that they can, you know, home in on their skills. Well, I played the lead of the league, so I was used to playing against starters. So when I was put against uh, Harry Carlson and, and and George Martin and Van Pelt and all those guys, I'm sorry, that's, that's what I played against. Them. When I put against, um, yeah, well, Harry was there, but mostly Lawrence and mm-hmm. Banks and Pepper, yep. those guys, Gary Reasons. I'd already played them as you know during the season, you know. So being a backup, it was like it was like playing a real football game. So I took that attitude. So I always worked hard against the number ones, so that if I ever got a chance to play, it wouldn't be all of a sudden lights on, action, and I'm deer in the headlight. So mm. I was always prepared for the opportunity. And then you know, Joe Mars had a great year in '86 when That's I got right. there. Yep. Backing him up as as a halfback and playing a little fullback, and and the theory behind it was with Joe Morris and, and, and Maurice Cawthorn, which was an excellent ball player. He's known for his blocking ability more than anything else. To Maurice Cawthorn credit, one of the few guys who had who had blocked for uh, at least six or seven thousand yard rushes in his career That's with right. Herschel Walker, Joe Mars. Myself and Rodney Hampton too. Rodney Hampton. Mm-hmm. So his 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 legacy is pretty impressive when you look back and see what he did That's as a fullback. So um, again, having having that kind of uh, having Joe Martin do what he did gave me a chance to kind of sit back and just home in on my skills and and the wear and tear on my body was not there because I didn't play because you know if you think about it. In 82, we had a strike, so that was a shortened season. 83, 84, 85, I, you know, I get hurt, miss nine games. 86, I come in and play half the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, 87, we have another strike where I don't play. 88, I play short yard goal line. Mm-hmm. 89, I start, go over 1,000 yards. And when and when so, come back, play of the year. No when come back, play of the year. So, so you know, I, you know, I, 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 I look at it and, and go like, you know, Parcells, Put me in a position to, to be to be good because he put me behind somebody who, on any other given day, uh, I I would have beat out. But Joe was the man, and I just made my time. Wow, and and I want to give um I want to share a greeting because I like to to do this on where they at. I like to have people that that have been part of your life either professionally and or personally. And I want to share a greeting from someone that you know very well. So here you go. Check it out. Hi, yo, this is Michael Barrow. I'm so happy that you're going on to Nabate's show. He's a great guy, great kid, known him for a long time. And he's turned out to be quite the pro. Um, I just want to let you know that it was a, an honor and a pleasure uh, playing with you. Um, you know, for sure, the Giants uh, would not have been uh, what they were without you, especially in uh, Super Bowl 25. 
Uh, it's very unusual when uh, one guy can really take over a game and can honestly say uh, won the game almost single-handedly. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, but you know, if anyone's ever come close to that, you sure did it in, um, in 1991. Uh, and I can't, you know, I can't tell you how, how grateful I am um, that I got two rings because of you. Uh, I really appreciate that. You know, I'll always be. Um, an honor to say that you're my teammate, and I look forward uh, to seeing you in the Hall of Fame in Canton uh, very soon. Uh, it's a it's a shame that you're not there yet, and uh, I have no doubt that uh, you'll be where you belong pretty soon. I right, have a good time with Nevada, and uh, I'll see you soon, Otis. That was Mark Bavaro. Yes, oh, it yeah. did. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> Mark. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, you know. That's a lot coming out of Mark because Mark never talked a lot. So. I know, right? I, I, yeah, man. If people understand, man, for Mark to just say what he said, uh, I truly appreciate it because he was a man of few words and he was all action. And that's one thing that you admired about about Mark was that uh, he put on his hard head every day. And yes. when he went to practice and played the game, you know, he was there. He was there 100%. And, and if you look back at the 49er game when he caught the ball and cared about five or six guys. That was the kind of guy that you wanted on your team. So, uh, Mark, thank you, man. And he was a great teammate. And, and I know he loved uh, uh, the chocolate chip cookie pie that uh, used to bring to him all the time. He'll laugh at that one. Okay, no doubt. <laughs> For sure. I'll make sure next time I see him, I'll bring that, that same thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> well, we're talking with Super Bowl 25 MVP, former All-Pro, as well as two-time champion running back, Mr. Otis O.J. Anderson on where they at. So Super Bowl 25, you were you were a man on the mission, and it was in your home state of Florida as well. Uh, it was in Tampa, Florida, and that Whitney Houston rendition, like how did it bring chills down your spine and 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 really bring you up to inspire you to have one of the great games in the history of of the Super Bowl? I think it did to all of us, everybody who was there that, that day, uh, uh, that night, rather, rather, because remember, we had the Gulf War, and, and it was said that they might not have had played the game because they they just didn't think it was safe or whatever, but President Bush at the time decided that it was good for the country, so let's play the game. And, um, you know, it was, it, for me, it was a dream come true because I had predicted when I came out of Miami to my roommate, Kenny Johnson, that if I played in the Super Bowl, featured running back, and was in the state of Florida, I win MVP. And uh, fortunate for me, in 89, it would have been the opportunity because I was the featured back at the time in the Super Bowl were at Joe Robbie Stadium, which is where it's at now. And uh, had Florida not caught that pass, you know, I might have lived the dream earlier, but I, I, I leave that game in heartaches and pain and sitting on my stool and, you know, and kind of understanding that my dream that I, in prediction was never going to come true. And, and I was talking to Maurice Carthon and I said, you know, Maurice, I predicted that if I played in the Super Bowl, state of Florida, feature running back, I'll win most valuable player. And, and, uh, you know, well, that goes that dream. He said, well, you know, the Super Bowl is in Tampa next year. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, it's in Tampa, Florida. And I said to Maurice then on my stool, I said, man, we're going. So, you know, pack your bags up and, True enough, uh, we, we went there, and, and from there it was just destiny. I, I, I claim I really believe in destiny and fate. It was for me to have because of 
everything that I said, I believe, and the stars lined it up properly. And, you know, it, it just worked out for me that my prediction came true. You know, I was the MVP and, you know, everything that I wanted to accomplish in the game of football was at that point completed. And, and the only thing was left off my record was one day Hall of Fame, which I didn't, you know, when I started playing football as a, as a rookie back then, Hall of Fame was the further thing from your mind because you, you, you don't know if you, you earned the right or generate enough to be considered as a Hall of Famer. And somehow through my illustrious career of 14 years, but, you know, if go back and do the math, it's not really 14 years of me consistently playing. It's 14 years that I was in the league. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's why I tell people I line my stats up against anybody who played eight years straight because that's kind of where I was. If, you know, if you look at how long I played football, uh, it was eight years out of the 14 years. Those eight years that I played, I was very productive. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, maybe they'll figure that out one day. Yeah, uh, they definitely will. They definitely will. And um, it's it's interesting. And speaking of that game, Bill Belichick, the game plan he had versus that Bills offense, that potent Bills offense, putting eight and pretty much putting eight back to take care of the passing game and neutralizing uh, their explosive passing game with Andre Reid and James Lofton, both Hall of Famers now. And and Bill Belichick, his preparation. Did you see him possibly being one of the great coaches of all time eventually with the way he approached the game uh, at that think, time? I don't think anybody knew that Belichick would come and be the guy that he was, but Coach Belichick. But just to go back for one second, I know I really didn't get into details when we spoke about uh, the impact that Whitney Houston had on not only me, but all of us during the uh, National Anthem. But it was a surprise to all of us because nobody knew who was going to be singing the national anthem until we got there. And all of a sudden she was in that beautiful white jumpsuit. Yep. And uh, we saw it on Jumbotron and we were like, oh my God, that's Whitney Houston. So like a, a wave of water rushing real fast, it went down the line. Whitney, 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 Whitney. So yeah, she gave us everything we needed to 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 go out and, and, and be the best that you can be because it was so inspirational her a redemption of, how that word is, you know what I'm trying oh, to say. Oh, rendition. <laughs> rendition, thank you, brother. Rendition of what the whole of, uh, what the uh, National Anthem stood for and what it was, it made such a great, great impact on all of us. So it was easy to go out and do that. Now back to Coach Belichick. Mm. He and I had a discussion one day uh, as, as I was running scout team plays and I was emulating the running backs that we were playing against and we were playing the, the, the Rams and I was Eric Dickinson. So, I was running according to what I thought Eric Dickerson would do, and 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 Bill that upright, wanted, that upright wanted, style. Yeah, that he wanted me to he wanted me to run to how the cards were set up, and I would tell Coach that listen, if Eric Dickerson see the line overshift to the right pre-snap, he's not going to run over there. He's going to start over there, but he's going to cut backside. So we need to strengthen up backside for cutback. And he and I used to get into this argument all the time that I didn't run to the cards. And I'm saying that no athlete, no running back in his right mind is going to do that if he see it. It's just instinct. And he said, you know what? He said, you you probably never play in another Super Bowl. And I said, yeah, you probably never be a head coach either. <laughs> <laughs> and we both, we both was wrong. You know? Yes. 
He became one of the greatest, and I became a uh, you know uh, MVP of Super Bowl. And we laugh about that. Uh, one of the times that it was, the times that I see him, we always kid each other about what we said to each other back then. So yeah, <laughs> wow, that's right. And um and and I enjoyed the two bills that thirty for thirty yeah. documentary. Oh man, that was and you were in that too. They you were part of that doc, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, they mentioned. It, it, I believe they did, but uh, you know. One, one thing I, I must say about both bills, um, they were great motivator of men. They they knew how to to give you the best opportunity to be good. They put you in a position to utilize your skills to be excellent. And when you mentioned about the the plan that 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 Belichick came up against the uh, Buffalo Bills. When he told Pepper and Lawrence what he had in mind, they looked at him like he had three heads when he said, listen, I'm going to rush three and drop eight, or I'm going to rush sometime two and drop nine. And and they were like, are you kidding me? Are you going to give him all the time in the world? He's going to destroy us. And, and Belichick, there he was, keep the ball in front of you and just knock the crap out of the receivers. And as they go across the middle, and if they're not targeted as the ball, just take them out because it's within the rules. So we had Reed and, and Lawson looking to be hit. So when they ran those deep in routes or those short in routes, they were getting knocked around by Collins, Greg Jackson, Myron Guyton, mm-hmm. Perry Williams, that they forgot about running routes. They started looking, you know, for getting uh-huh. hit. We call it alligator arms. So that's right. The strategy. Footsteps in the dark. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and the strategy was great for what he was trying to do, and it, it worked out. And fortunately for us that they were so stubborn, their offensive coordinator was so stubborn that the fact that he was going to pass regardless, and they figured it out the fourth quarter, and they started running Thurman, and, boy, we was in trouble. So thank God that he, he, he decided to not <laughs> lose his stubbornness until late into the fourth quarter. Because if he did it early in that, it would have been close. They'd have blew us out, and Thurman would have been probably one of the greatest uh, uh, running backs that played in the Super Bowl that had unbelievable yardage because he beat us for a buck 67 anyway. Um, So, yeah, it would have been a different turnout had they figured it out. Wow. Uh, Listen, listen, we knew they were better. If we played them 100 times, we'll we'll beat them maybe that one time. And that's all you got to do sometimes, just be good that day. Mm-hmm. And we were that day. Wow. And, and and Scott Norwood, have you ever ran into him since that game? He and I did an autograph signing. And I didn't even know it was him um, 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 until we both outside an autograph and someone mentioned, you know, that's Scott Norwood that was sitting to your left. And I looked over at him, he looked at me. We kind of smiled at each other. I said, it, it, you know, hey, you had three other chances. That's what I said, you know. <laughs> you had three other chances, so you can't be mad, you know. That's so, right. That's right. And, and for people in the audience that don't know, Scott Norwood was the kicker that missed the potential game-winning field goal for that game. But like like you said, Otis, he had he had three chance he had three chances. I mean, the team had three chances had three after chances. that. Yeah, so right, right. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. So you can't you can't get mad at Norwood. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a heck of a kick to make anyway. Uh, that kick are uh, what guys uh, we call legends are made from. Mm-hmm. And uh, had he made it, he would have been a legend. But 
it would have went to Thurman and 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 probably uh, Jim Kelly as far as all the accolades, you know. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what? I was, you know, I grew up a Giants fan. I just got to tell you, you know, and and I was on my knees in prayer during that time. <laughs> you know, there are two times I was on my knees in prayer as a sports fan. It was that moment, and also Christian Leitner, the two seconds left, Duke and Kentucky. Oh, Christian Leitner, yeah. those are the two times, and my prayers were answered both times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you, you and a whole lot of people. And myself and all my teammates were having that same prayer. So, you know, God God saw fit this time to, to give it to us. I appreciate it, you know. Yes. Uh, you yes, know, who would have thought where our life would be had he made that field goal? Sometimes I look back and, and go like, wow, what if, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. And uh, we're talking with Otis O.J. Anderson, Super Bowl twenty five MVP, former All-Pro running back, two-time Super Bowl champion. And now, Otis, you made a beautiful transition uh, into retirement and with your foundation and charities. And, and you work, you've worked closely for 20 years with Eagle Sports promotions with the great Marcy Kahn and, and, and Bruce Eagle. And, and Eagle Sports has been raising money for the many charities involving children for you. And they run your charity as well as assist with your golf tournament. So talk talk more about that beautiful relationship with you and Eagle, as well as um, your obligation to be able to really uplift lives. Well, you know, Marcy, you're good, Marcy. <laughs> you and Bruce, y'all slid that right on in there. <laughs> you got to know your your your, your announcer, and he, he's a great job. I love the way he slid that in there. Um, Bruce and Marcy have been around, at least Bruce and I have been around for a very long time. We, we've been friends for a long time. And, and uh, when Marcy was introduced to, to me and other guys, we, we all welcome uh, the beauty of what makes Bruce Eagle, Eagle Sports, what it is, is having that lady Marcy out there doing the, 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 the dirty work, shall I say, not in a bad way, but she's the, <laughs> she's, she's really the, the face that, that makes Eagle Sports what it is. No, no offense to you, Bruce. Marcy's prettier and everything else about her. Um, and she relates to us a lot better than you, Bruce. So yes, indeed. <laughs> but um, Bruce's been good. He's had a lot of charities out. And, and you know, he's, he's not a stranger to making a difference and, and helping charity make a difference in, in kids' life or whatever cause you have. Uh, Eager Sports has been there to bring in some unique sports memorabilia, some unique athletes to your event so that it can help take your event to the next level. So it's been just great, great for me to have a guy like Eagle, uh, Eagle Sports in my in my in my in my pocket, you know, and having someone like Marcy being part of Eagle Sports uh, also uh, making a big difference in my transition from football to to uh, corporate world and, and, and uh, world of uh, of opportunity and world of charity. They've really been very uh, stellar. In, in my life, and again, a lot of other athletes uh, feel the same way about uh, Eagle Sports. And what's what's um, next with your charity? What's what's going on next? Update the audience on what's going on. Well, and, and, mm? well we're we're getting ready to do a poker tournament. I think it's May sixth in the city mm -hmm. at the you know, One on One Club, uh, and then uh, later on, July thirteenth, we'll have our annual golf tournament at uh, Crestmont Country Club and. West Orange, New Jersey, and these all are fundraisers to raise money for kids who are trying to go off to college that fall short in funds. 
So it, it's just it's just a great opportunity to try to change life. I I was impacted by people who who thought enough about the programs that I was involved with and, and gave money so that people like myself and others can have a, a chance to to better their 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 careers or try to improve their lifestyle, which we was able to do. And I'm just trying to make sure that kids who want to do a do similar things that I did. I was blessed to go to Miami with a full ride and got a degree in education. So I just try to make sure kids who wants to do stuff like that have a chance to do it when they don't have enough funds to do it. So it, it brings great, great joy to me to be able to do that. I have great people working with me and my foundation. You know, I have my family in Florida who does a remarkable job for me in Florida with another foundation uh, with the help of the ground girls and one of my biggest donor, Ray Robinson, mm. who's uh unbelievable donate every year to my foundation in Florida. Uh, technically, he's the only donor I have down there and he, he makes a difference. He's given over $100,000 to my to, to my uh, foundation in Florida uh, for the last five, six years. And I think we've got year six or seven coming up. So again, he's making a difference by making a, a major contribution to the foundation. So I, I have a lot of help. And then my, then my business partner up here, um, Mark Goldberg, he got me involved with a company called Veritex. And at my golf tournament, I told people one day we were standing up, and Marcy can tell you, uh, I told a bunch of people we were standing up at my golf tournament, and uh, and and I and I had so many celebrities there, and so many people that came in. I had over 200 people. His help alone, being up here, made my golf tournament what it is. But the relationship we have with a lot of law firms and. Veritex, one of the largest court reporting company in the country, mm -hmm. has been a, a, a good niche for me in assisting me to to uh, help break this golf tournament and help provide funds for these kids. Wow, and and uh, I want to uh, give it up to you and what you're doing and your Twitter handle at OJ Anderson 24 for yes, fans sir. that get more, you know, they'll get updates on those events. Also as well, mm -hmm. Otis, O T T I S Anderson.com for, for more updates as well to, to check out, um, check out those events. So, but wow. Now we, we're going to talk about now, cause I know you still follow the giants. You still follow mm -hmm. what's going on. The retirement of Eli Manning uh, speak about, how he has made an impact like you have on the field and off the field. And is he a first ballot hall of famer? Well, you know what? Eli, the whole Manning family had made an impact on sport going back to their dad. I, you know, I, I played against Archie when Archie was in the latter part of his career and uh, knowing, knowing that he had these kids coming up and not knowing that they would turn out to be the way they, they, they did. But, uh, Eli is a great leader of men. He proved that over and over again. He, he, you know, he went in, in into the game against the Philadelphia game as a rookie, got beat up, took his pounding, and 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 just learned so much from that. And he he he, he is a guy that his work ethics are are, are unbelievable. Um, when you you know he's come from good pedigree. When you again when you think about the Manning family, um, he's on and off the field community service work that he does, him and his wife doing the community. Uh, he just was a great ambassador uh, for football in general. And you know, if you wanted to to have a leader of your team and you were building your team back in the day, uh, by far having a, a Manning at your, your helm was a, was a good choice. And I'm just so glad that Eli 
became a, a, a New York Giants and and his, his and he wanted career. it. He wanted it. Yeah. He wanted to be here. Yeah, he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his family made it happen. And you know, he, he he's a guy that we just so thankful that we had a chance to witness greatness uh, early on and and saw it as it evolved into where where it is. And two time MVP of a Super Bowl, not just one but two times. People don't even get chances to go and play, but once in their life. Ask Marino about it. What an yes. all time great. And, and there's a lot of other quarterbacks that that Jim Kelly, another one, that can say they played in the Super Bowl but never won it. But he was an MVP twice. One of few MVPs that is part of the 50, it's 54 Super Bowls mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. And there is about, uh, I would say about 44, 45 of us. Because then you got the rest of them are two times and three time repeaters. So. Uh, he's in a very elite group of men and uh, just a great, great giant. And, and I'm just glad to, to know that um, he's part of the Giants legend, once a giant, always a giant. So um, just a great man. Well, now Saquon Barkley, is he, would you say that he's one of the most or maybe the most talented running back you've ever seen? Like just pure talent, what he can do. Uh, what, what is your impression of his natural talent and, and can he stay healthy to be able to have that talent co- go to fruition and be an all-time great? Well, he has great instincts. Um, I, I think he has the ability to, to, to be very, very, very good running back. Uh, great. Uh, it's going to take another year because you got to get past injuries. But if you look at his, look at his work ethic, you look at his, his, just what he does, you just go like, wow. And and as a running back, me, Rodney Hampton, Lewis Tillman, we watch him. We just say that a lot of times, you know, like, wow, he, he has it all. He has everything you want from a running back to, 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 to be successful. There's no reason why if he doesn't get injured, that he's become one of the all time great at it. And, and we just got to surround him with, with enough tools that'll allow him to continue to showcase his abilities and just keep him healthy. We keep this boy upright. He's going to make a difference in the NFL for the Giants and make it just a perfect game for himself. Uh, he has everything. And speaking of work ethic, it's, it's interesting because here in Fort Lee, a great restaurant that I'm involved with, I perform there a lot, Ventana's, which is which is outstanding restaurant. Saquon Barkley was always there during the offseason. But I've heard that after training camp started, he did not go in there once through training camp through the season. That's that's that work ethic and that discipline you, you allude to. Well, uh, if I was going to a restaurant like that and it was – the food was good as he was there all the time. I don't think I would have stopped. But anyway, <laughs> that's the difference between me and these kids today is just totally different uh, uh, work ethic and, and mindset. But um, you know, just just again, he has all the tools, and uh, only time will tell because we have seen a lot of great ones come and, and injury have taken him away. So mm-hmm. if he stays healthy, and he's gonna be a, a, a he's gonna be part of that great running back tree of running backs that the Giants have uh, had introduced. Yes, indeed. And now um, the Giants, they hired Joe Judge, not a glamorous uh, hire, but 
has has some experience and then but his staff has two former head coaches with Jason Garrett the longtime Cowboys head coach now offensive coordinator also uh, Freddie Kitchens now the tight ends coach he was the the head coach for the Browns this past year and Patrick Graham very very experienced uh, defensive coordinator himself what would how would Otis Anderson advise the coaching staff in the front office on how to improve the roster going into 2020. What are the name three <laughs> elements that you? How would you invi- advise them? Man, you talking about that's not what I do. <laughs> that's not what I do, man. Hey, I stay in my lane, dog. I stay in my lane. Right. Uh, but you're an expert in the game. You you know you see what's going on. <laughs> listen, um, I think the the coaching tree is probably one of the best uh, I've seen in in a while. Um, going back to Tom Coughlin, um, I also see that that you you even though he's a up and coming new head coach, but he's been on the Bill Belichick tree for a while. And I know one thing that we're gonna get is fair play, discipline, and accountability. And that's all you want from your player. And I know he's gonna bring that. He's gonna instill that in all these players. That you're gonna be a, accountable for your job and what you do on and off the field. And there's consequence if you don't abide by the rules. He, gonna, he learned that from Belichick. So it's going to be just great to, to see the the, 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 the the newness of this team. And, again, you know, Garrett was here back with the Jazz before. So as a player, he was here. So he, welcome back, you know, to the family. Wow, that's uh, it, it, it's just going to, I'm excited. I'm excited because we got a lot of young talent and, and they just need to be energized. They just need some leadership. They just need someone to, to guide them because we're not, we're not that bad. We may be, you know, a couple of years away uh, from being a real good contender uh, to the, in, in the NFC East because everybody have already retooled. We really last to do so. I think us and the Redskins are the last to do so, but, but I think we, we're we're going to do well. We're going to do very well. I think we're going to surprise a lot of people because we were in a lot of games this year, and just unfortunately we we just wasn't strong enough uh, defensively, and sometimes offensively we just didn't put enough points on the board. But all that's going to change now, and we're going to be a, we're going to be competitive. That's one thing you want to put a good product on the field, and if you do that, that product will will excel. Well, and, and, and Super Bowl 54 coming up, going back to Miami, you know, where you were, where you were at with uh, driving around the Steelers and, and the Cowboys during Super Bowl no. 13 in Miami, but it's back Super Bowl 54. Uh, isn't it a breath of fresh air how the San Francisco 49ers are just dominating with the run game and just dominating at the line of scrimmage? That's a breath of fresh air compared to what's going on now in the NFL with, with the passing emphasis uh, talk about how how that's great to see as as an elite running back you were and how you dominated physically. Well, I always said that you win with defense. Everybody say you win with offense, but you know, good defense would would keep a good offense off the field because mm-hmm. what happens is, uh, it, well, well, kind of vice versa too. Um, but San Fran is such a complete team. Uh, they they're gonna they're gonna beat you with a slow running game. And 
and not give you many opportunities to touch the football. The defense don't give up a lot of big plays. They're going to make you grind. It's if, you, if you go 80 yards, you're going to earn 80 yards. So it, it, it's, 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 it's going to be a, a matchup that you got this, this Jack Rabbit type offense going against uh, Mount uh, Rushmore or something, some, somebody who are, are, are a rock of Gibraltar where you're not going to be easy to move them. The, the 49ers brings defense, offense, special team, coach with creativity. All these things are going to make it very difficult for the Kansas City Chiefs to pull off a victory. Mm. I I pick I pick San Fran to win it, but I keep telling people, even though I pick them, I'm reluctant to not give that boy my home a chance because he is incredible. And if 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 they don't get to him, if they don't execute that pass rush that we seem to see that them having, it's not going to be close. So um, it's it's going. It's the first time that a good offense is going against a good defense, which should make it a a, a great Super Bowl. Wow, wow, definitely, that's for sure. And 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 I wanted to um, talk to you about an opponent that you played against, uh, one of the great pass rushers in the history of the game, Hall of Famer Chris Doman passed away. What are your memories of Chris Doman when playing against him? Oh, man, he's a, he, he was a guy that brought it, brought it every day. I mean, he was fierce. He was competitive. Uh, even when we played golf together, man, he would, you know, share things with me about my golf game and, you know, but, just a great man. Just, you know, another one of those guys going too soon. And, you know, it's not a whole lot being said about it because, you know, hey, you know, Kobe is Kobe. But a, another guy who's, who's gone too soon and yes. just a great man. And, you know, when, when you know, listen, we all got a number. We all got a date. We just don't know it. And when the good man up above say, it's your time, it's your time. And we just don't know it. And, um, you know, that's why you live each day to this fullness because tomorrow's not the promise. And, and just just a sad, sad occasion, you know, as we deal with Kobe and his daughter, Gianna oh, Patrick. Yeah. And now you you, you got Chris Go- uh, Doman and you got another family. You got another uh, uh, mother and father without a son, another wife without a husband, another kids without a father. I mean, it's just so sad. But, uh, you know, we, we're not going to live forever. And, and we just hope that, that, that their lives were in order with the man up above for their departure. And like everything, we'll get past it. And it's not going to be easy to those families. You know, you have my condolence. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. But every day it gets better. You know, you just got to believe it and, and, and trust and keep your faith and don't deny your faith because whatever happen you know because there's a bigger reason and a bigger message for for the past to you know all these great ones for for everyone that is gone that is one is born and the one is born may be coming with the solution that may change a lot of these illness that's going on in the world so mm-hmm. there's a lot of positive behind uh, every death you know that's a positive because there's a newborn that's coming to hopefully change the world and make it better but you know, it's hard to, you know, swallow that when you, when you're in pain and you're mourning. But 
it will get better. Every day it gets better. I'm, I'm losing my mom. Help, help me believe that every day it gets better. So yeah. it'll get better to all those families. Just keep faith in God and it, it, it gets better. And it's fitting that you're wearing purple for Chris Doman and for Kobe Bryant. It's fitting you wearing purple. And I see that oh, gold, that gold. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah look at that. And that gold right there as well, you know? Yes, yes, well, sir. Um, see that God working mysterious ways already. Right. And and um, and my mother, my I'm so close to my mother, and she says she actually shares the same birthday as you do, do January oh, wow. 19th, which is deep. You know? <laughs> yeah. that, that goes to show she's not only she's great lady, she's born on a great day. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, sir. Um, and I want to, before we go, I want to do a quick segment. It's called No Huddle. You know, I do this with all of my guests. Uh, like, if it's a baseball player, it's hit and run. If it's a basketball player, it's fast break. For you, it's no huddle. And I want to ask you just some quick questions to give a quick answer, like a sentence answer. Now, most underrated player, that, that a player that his name is not mentioned. It can be an opponent or a teammate. Oh God, uh, Phil Sims. Pre-game ritual. What was your pre-game ritual like uh, that you that you were consistent with? Apple pie, Alamo ice cream every night before I played. Raw green can attest to this. <laughs> I had to have my apple pie, Alamo with American cheese melted on top. People don't understand. That's the best dessert to have. But that was my ritual every night. Wow, most bizarre teammate. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> it did, Most it didn't make sense, but it, it gave me what I needed. I mean, you know what? Every night, it, hell, I got one ninety three at sixteen oh five. It must work. I got over ten thousand yards. It must work. So, <laughs> hot apple pie, American cheese, ice cream on top. Great, great dessert. That's all I can tell you, folks. Oh, oh no! I, I wasn't saying you were bizarre. I was I was asking you who's the most bizarre teammate you played oh. with. <laughs> oh, the most bizarre teammate. Oh God, who would that be? Uh, uh, well, Banks did a lot of crazy things in the locker room. Carl Banks. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say Banks did some bizarre things. I mean, uh, I remember we were flying and guys were throwing pillows at me on the plane and. You know, he was he was the leader behind it. I know he was. He didn't never admit to it. But yeah, I would say Banks probably. Okay, well, now who delivered the hardest hit on you that you still remember to this day? Um Oh god. Keena Keena Turner. Defensive line I mean linebacker for Kansas. For the for forty niners. Yeah. Forty nine. I was running a swing route in the backfield and Lomax threw one of those floaters and Ooh. he kind of you go back and look at nfl hits and he kind of hit me right under the chin i've seen that hit <laughs> he, he dropped me i still caught the ball i got up finished the game i think he got mad at me because i was calling him tina turner all game. <laughs> yeah he gave me a good shot um who else gave me a good shot um gary reason when i was a cardinal i had a separated right shoulder and I made a sweet play and I knew I couldn't use the right shoulder so I gave him the left shoulder and he separated that one so um, there's a lick he put on me. It's not many guys that hit me like that but it's a lot of guys I hit though you know. Mm -hmm. You need to find those you know because I was not only the hitty. I mean I was a, yeah I was a hitty on a lot of those things that 
Is it hit her? Hit it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I deliver the blow sometimes, so there we go. That's right, especially on 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 uh, Mark Kelso, and he says hello. Right. Actually, Mark Kelso, yeah. said, I spoke oh, with him really? this morning. Oh. Yeah, he says hello. <laughs> but he still, he still, even though you got him with that uppercut, he still was able to to bring you down a little bit. You got a couple more yards though, you know. I ran through him. He just had he had. If you look at that, you look at Kanish Bennett chasing down his back. If Kanish Bennett wouldn't have been there, I'd have probably scored because I was getting through him. He, he he slowed me up enough, but uh, he wasn't going to really bring me down. I don't think. I think I would, I ripped through him, so I was pulling through. And if you know, you can see where Kanish Bennett made the final tackle. Mm, and and one more question for you: favorite Kobe Bryant moment? He did a lot on the field. I um, mean, not on the on the court, but seeing him as a father with his daughter uh, on that sideline. That's the picture that stands out in my mind over all the things he's done. Um, and he's done a lot of great things. He influenced a lot of people. But that's that's what, because we are fathers, you know what I mean? And we, a lot of us have kids, and, and whether it's sons or daughter, but to be able to spend time like that with your kid who doing what you did, and she enjoyed doing what you once did and, and had the potential to, to be... Uh, uh, good like you were, that's what I remember. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's my moment. Now, to close out the show, I have two two questions to close out the show. The last one will be a quick one, but make your case for why you should be in the Hall of Fame because Mark Bavaro even mentioned that you should be in the Hall. So make your case because I know, I know, you know, you have a right to, to state that. All right, well, let's just put it out there. 79... Started my career, 1,600 yards. Next year, 1,300 yards. Next year, 12 or 1,300 yards. So from 79 to 80, 81, I was a 1,000-yard rusher. 82, he had a strike, shortened season. I came back. 83, 84, over 1,000 yards. 85, I missed nine games due to injury. At that point in time, trading 86, I had during 8,000 yards when I was traded to the Giants in 86. Most yardage by any running back the first eight years of their career, if you go back and look at it, that didn't have stoppage of work, okay? Stoppage of work is what people need to understand. Mm -hmm. And the injury factor, 86, I played for the Giants. I've had a backup role. 87, had another strike where we stopped work. At that time, I was on the team, but not as a productive player. 88, I came back onto the scene as short yards and goal line player. 89, I was given the starting role, went over 1,000 yards, cracked the 14 10, touchdowns, too. 14 touchdowns. Yep. Cracked the 10,000 10, yard barrier at that point in time. 90, we drafted Rodney Hampton, started the season off. Rodney took over, uh, get injured in 91 which is 90 season was in the playoff i come in play up into the, the end of the game win mvp of super bowl run for 102 yards when i retired from the game i was the eighth leading rusher in the history of national football league with 85 or 86 touchdowns 10,000 yard rookie of the year nfc player of the year comeback player of the year 10,000-yard rusher, two-time Super Bowl champion, MVP of the Super Bowl. 
check the people that's in the Hall of Fame that are in my position, look at their stats, other than some guys who had more yards rushing against me, but they played continuously 12 years, 14 years, or 13 years where they didn't have strikes. Had I not had that, we wouldn't even have this discussion. Maybe I'm not a played in the Super Bowl. Maybe I wouldn't have been MVP. But I've probably been like Frank Gore. I probably had close to 14 or 13,000 yards because that's where I was on my pace to do had I not got traded from the Giants. So it's there, ladies and gentlemen, black and white. Read it. You make the judgment. You make the call. I think I deserve it. My peers think I deserve it. Um, coaches who coach against me. Belichick sent in a letter to the Hall of Fame. Wow. Marcel sent to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Vermeil sent to the Hall of, Hall of Fame. And Mark Bavaro announced it. Your teammate, you know, who was a great player. Mm-hmm. And uh, Washington Redskins coach. Um, oh, Joe, Joe Gibbs. Gibbs. Joe Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Joe Gibbs. Five teams that I played in the NFC East, ladies and gentlemen, before they broke up, the NFC East was the toughest division ever ever before the Chicago Bears North and before the South, it was the NFC East. It was the Cowboys, Eagles, Redskins, Cardinals, Giants. 10,000 yards was accumulated in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Three decades, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me why I ain't in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Preach. I don't know. Preach. And, and, and last question for you. If no. you want to include yourself, you can. You know Mount Rushmore has four faces on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and now the you, the you, and, and you, you got to name your Mount Rushmore for the you, for the University of Miami, oh, and you can't include yourself. Oh, that's not hard. That's not hard. Um, because he was a leader and he started off, I say Chuck Foreman. You know, um, you got to put uh, Jim Kelly. Um, this way it gets tricky uh, because you can put uh, Reed, Ed Reed. Mm-hmm. Ed Reed. You can put Jerome Brown. Oh, um, God rest his soul. Yes. Exactly. You can put Jerome Brown for what he did for the U. You, you know, Ray Ray, Ray Lewis, you can you can put there. Michael Irvin, you can put oh. there. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, you, you got Kozar, you got uh Testa Verde. Um um God, we you, you got Frank Gore who's doing what he's doing now. You That's know, right. had an ACL um, injury and and still you know was able to have a great right, career. Right, and, and then you had um, uh, James, Edge, James, the Edge, the Edge. You can put there. You you put me there. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. It, that that's it's, it's it's not fair because there's so many great people. You got Ted Hendrick who started it all off could be on there. George Meyer who won first Heisman Trophy for University of Miami. It's it's not fair because you're talking about different eras. If you if you're talking about you know overall, it's it's hard to say that. But they actually did something like that for Miami. They did the top I think the top top 100 or the top 50 all time great Miami. Hurricanes, and I think I was in the top ten, a top mm. twenty, something like that. Yeah. So uh, it's it's you know it's there, it's there, man, and um, you just know your history, man. Uh, you know they call me OG because uh, 
I was the original. I was the original. That's right, original gangster. They put, they put mine on the map, man. I was the original OG to put mine on the map. You know, so yes, sir. And your record, what didn't it wasn't broken until thirty, what thirty eight years later, thirty six years later, when Duke finally Duke Johnson. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and you know what? And I tell people this: Duke played four years. That's right. My record. I play. I I didn't play four years, and I was I played four years, but didn't. As a freshman, I played varsity, but I was a fullback. Mm -hmm. And I and I led the team with Russia with 300 yards as a fullback. So I was out of position. But the minute they put me back where I need to be at, I did it in three years. It was a wrap. Over, over 3,000, almost 4,000 yards rushing at mm -hmm. University of Miami. Yeah, around 3,700, around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I did it. I did it. Three years as a halfback, one year as a fullback. So, dude, you broke my record, dog, but you had four years at running back. I only had three years at it. So, but records are made to be broken. I'm glad you did it. You did a great job. You represented you very well and in great success and continuation of your career because you're doing a good job in the pros, too. I got to say, I want to thank you for the honor, Mr. Anderson, to have you on the sixth edition of Where They At. It was great to chop it up with you and talk with you about so many different things and, and, and your energy is infectious. And I thank you so much for, for being on the show and uh, many blessings to you. I look forward to, to meeting you in person soon. There you go. Well, you just got, all you have to do is invite me to that restaurant you're talking about and you pay for the That's all you got to do. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got you. Thank you all for listening to the sixth edition of Where They At. And I want to thank O.J. Anderson, Otis Anderson, uh, Pro Bowler, Super Bowl 25 MVP. Pleasure to have him on the show. I would like to thank one of the greatest tight ends in the history of the National Football League, Mr. Mark Bavaro, for providing that wonderful greeting for his former teammate. And I want to thank Marcy Kahn of Eagles Sports as well. I want to also thank one of one productions here in Fort Lee, uh, Fela, Dennis, and Joy. I mean, the operation they have here is incredible. And as I've always mentioned, makes me feel at home. And if you like the music that you're listening to, uh, you can check it out on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. It's from my album, Eclectic Excursions. Uh, so if you'd like the music, you can check it out. You can also go on my website, Nabate Isles, N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S.com to uh, definitely uh, purchase it and download and stream it, et cetera, et cetera. I want to thank also Nadia Ramdas and Matt McConaughey as well. And we'll be back with another episode. And, and I'm just so honored to talk to these wonderful accomplished individuals and learn so much from them and i hope you all learn from them too my name is nabate house once again and rest in peace to kobe bryant his daughter gianna uh also his friends that were on the plane with him the victims and their families and also rest in peace to the hall of famer chris doman thank you all very much talk to you soon bye-bye